I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Hello, everybody. Hey. Tay, this is... uh, So people don't know this, but we moved the recording studio. I know, man. Uh, This is my first time recording. We actually... I mean, super fortunate um, that our, our Patreon subscribers have basically allowed us to rent a penthouse <laughs> office space where we have 2,000 square feet. Mm. It's pretty much like modern, postmodern. Mm. It's really it's just a big empty space Mm-mm. with a desk mm. at the very center mm. surrounded by windows that mm. overlook the harbor. Nope, uh, that's not it. Uh, we So people may or may not know this, but we moved from Brian's mom's house into my house, which is technically my dad's house because my dad <laughs> bought this house and I'm paying him the mortgage. Um but we moved it into, we moved the studio. We're trying a, to keep everything consistent. Yeah. It's a sweet new space. Um, <clears throat> and because you were away and Brian is away, um, and we've just been throwing out the recordings that we did while we were in Toronto, uh, you haven't had a chance to sit down and record in here. I've been no. recording in here with Bridie for our other podcast, Turn Me On Podcast. You can go check it out and give it a rating and review on iTunes. Uh, but, subtle, subtle uh, plug. <laughs> thank you. It's very subtle. Uh, but yeah, it's a sweet little space, eh? It is very cozy. I dig it. We we kind of got the living room set up. Yeah. Kind of recording. It's studio. really great. Well, we got really attached to that while we were in Toronto. We did. To the whole like like sit down, lounge on the couch set up. Yeah. Um, so I'm excited good. when uh, when Bri gets back to start. Uh, I'm going to Nicaragua though, also in like two in like a week and a half. So oh, for fuck's sake, I'm going to be gone away again. So uh, speaking of other things that are new and in the works, dude, we've got some merch. Merch, ladies and gentlemen, we have merch. We have a store online. If you want to check it out, uh, go on over to shop.sickboypodcast.com or head on over to our website and click the merch button at the top. Mm. And uh, we got a whole bunch of shit on there. Uh, here, let me bring it up. We got it. We got some. Uh, we got mugs and we got sweatshirts and we got t-shirts. Actually, the sweatshirt I I really love. Um, I mean, like right this second, if you, do you feel cold right now? Like right this second, if you are feeling cold, uh, then you're going to want to buy this for sure. It's like a, it's like a t-shirt except it's got longer sleeves and it's way more fuzzy on the inside. Um, just picture like a cozy blanket that fits around your arms and your torso in a way that just makes you look real cool. Uh, what else do we got there today? We got... There's a mug on there. Oh, yeah. We got a mug with this awesome Sick Boy logo on it. It's, uh, you know, I mean, you can really use it for anything. You could use this for uh, coffee. Uh, You could put rum in it. You could, you know, you could put orange juice in it in the morning, breast milk, uh, banana Mm. flavored penicillin. You can really do whatever you want. I know that one of Jeremy's favorite uh, uses for his mugs currently at his place and for the Sick Boy mug that he has ordered 
is uh, to ash his cigarettes in. Um, so you can really use it for whatever you like. Uh, yeah, it just really makes me feel like I'm on the set of Mad Men. Uh, so if you want to support Sick Boy in another way and also kind of join our team here and have some sweet Sick Boy merch and kind of uh, advertise for us around where you live, uh, head on over to shop.sickboypodcast.com and uh, check out what we got going on there. And you know what is an awesome perk? What's that? Oh, fuck yeah. If you are a, one of our patrons, you get 10% off all of our merchandise. It's true. 10% off. We actually had someone take up that uh, that offer today. And if you, so if you are a <laughs> patron, then you're welcome. And if you're not, go over, subscribe to Patreon, give us a little, uh, a little donation or contribution or whatever the le- legal name is for that. Yeah, and you'll get a kickback with 10% off all of our merch yeah, from totally. here on out. Yeah. And that's for all patrons. Yeah. Uh, okay, so we got a sweet episode that we're throwing it to today. But before we get to it, I, so, had a fucking crazy weekend, um, and I didn't really tell you about this day, but uh, last night, Matthew Good was here in Halifax. He is, uh, for those of you who don't know, <laughs> have you been living under a rock? <laughs> he is one of the most, uh, like, huge influential uh, musician in my day coming up. Uh, he had some like big bangers in the in the nineties and mm-hmm. the early two thousands. Uh, Matt Good just did his did his, just did a tour. They finished the tour here in Halifax, and last night Bridie and I are in the audience, and we're enjoying the show. Uh, I'm pretty sure he's like like doing apparitions or something like that. And, and it was sold out, right? So it was a jam sold out show, fucking jam packed uh, in this, this place called the Marquee, which is a kind of a iconic place here in Halifax. So a lot of people in this jammed in this small space, and Bridie um, turns to me and she goes, "Oh, what's going on?" And we look ahead of us, and there's this uh, this blonde woman, and she's holding on to this like pretty petite uh, other woman with really short hair, and and it looks like this woman's just like putting all of her weight into this blonde woman's um, kind of embrace, and and the lo- the woman the blonde girl is like you know she's got this look on her face she's a woman the, sorry this blonde woman she's got a look on her right. face and bridie goes uh, is everything okay and she goes i think she's having a seizure and she's talking about the other woman in her in her arms bridie says this no the woman says it to bridie she the goes woman I, that's holding her yeah she goes i think she's having a seizure and bridie goes uh jeremy I th- the, the, she thinks that she's having a seizure so i immediately i'm like well that's not okay so i like shove some people out of the way and i go up and i go is she okay and she goes, she's having a seizure. And I grab her. And this woman is totally rigid and convulsing. And so I, I, I grab a hold of her back. And I turn around. And I'm like, get the fuck back. And I start like just demanding that all these people get back. Because no one's really paying attention. No, right, one, yeah. no one understands what's going on. And so I put like the panic face on. And everybody goes, oh, shit's serious. So people back up. People back up. And I create this huge fucking open space and I take this this woman down onto her back and I'm holding onto her head and uh, Bridie gets some guy to call 911 and all these people are like what's going on what's going on and you know luckily this this so the woman it was her wife that was that was holding her mm. her wife is like keeping everybody back and the woman who I brought down to the floor she opens she she comes to she stops convulsing she opens her eyes and she looks up at me and I go hey and she goes, hi. And I was like, how are you doing? And she goes, I'm okay. And I was like, do you know where you are? She goes, yeah, I'm at Matt Good. And I was like, okay, do you know what just happened? And she goes, no. And I was like, 
you just had a seizure. And she goes, what? I go, yeah, you had a seizure. Uh, do you have a history of having seizures? She goes, no, I've never had a seizure in my life. I was like, are you, have you been drinking? She goes, no, I don't drink. I was like, do you, have you been doing drugs? She goes, I haven't taken any drugs. She was like, honestly, I feel fine. And I was like, okay, well, here's the crazy thing is you just had a legit seizure, um, but everything's okay. You didn't fall. You're in my lap. I need you to just relax. And she goes, okay. And I was like, cool. Do you need anything? She's like, I'm a little hot. And then all of a sudden this nurse rushes in. I'm like having Totally a, steals your thunder. Oh, dude, I'm having just like a great conversation with this woman. And then this other woman, this nurse comes in, just ruins our time, right? I was right. kind of falling in love, actually, to tell you the truth. Um, I was going to ask her out. But um, anyway, this nurse comes in and and uh, and she was like, does anybody have any water? And she's she's adding to the panic. And oh, I was like, God. And I was like, man, I ju- like we Shh. just had this like... Shh perfect little <laughs> communication back and forth that me and, the, and the, the woman who was having the seizure and she was totally calm. But then this nurse was like really uppity, but she grabbed some water and she started pouring it on her neck and like, got, and was like cooling her down. And so I was like, Hey, do you feel cool? Yes. Do you still feel warm? And dude, it was so weird. She would take it in her mouth. She would like swear, swirl around her mouth and go <laughs> all over her face. And I was like, Whoa, <laughs> She needs to be cool. Yeah. Open her mouth. Open her mouth. <laughs> I was like, whoa, is this? That's not what happened. But, but so I told the nurse what, what I had seen and what I had done. And the nurse goes, okay, okay, okay. And then we're, we're all having this like little conversation. By this time, security's there. EMS has been called. We're waiting on EMS. The is nurse, this like during a song? Is like, dude, did, did Matt good? It, no, is it no, this? we're, we're pretty far back. So this uh, okay. is all going on, like, you know. So the, uh, every, the show's still going yeah, on. Yeah, like Weapon is playing all, now, right. and, and we're taking care of this, yeah. Right. Uh, so EMS shows up. Uh, they check her out. She was totally fucking fine. And then Bridie and I go outside for a little air, uh, fresh air, like uh, about 30 minutes later. I run into her. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, hey, oh, my God, how are you? Are you okay? And she was like, yeah, I'm totally fine. It was such a weird thing. Um, that's never happened before. And I was like, okay, you should really go get that checked out. And she's like, yeah, yeah, I probably will. But there was, there was, it was so nonchalant that I was like, that was really weird. And then afterwards, Bridie was like, I don't think she's going to go get checked out. Dude, you know why? Because she knows why she had the seizure. No. You know why? Why? Because she's addicted to crack. <laughs> Dude, no. And everybody, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Oh my God. That's the worst segue. Before we actually throw it, my God, if you're listening, whoever that woman was, I never caught your name. If you're listening, please go fucking get checked. I I, I think that that would probably be and the best. Stop thing. smoking crack. Stop that. Uh, please enjoy this week's episode. Andrew Galloway, former crack addict and uh, Bay Street. Uh, he's Canadian's Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. Enjoy. Amazing guy. Jesus Christ. <laughs> Welcome to Sick Boy, a podcast where we talk about what it's like to be sick. This week's guest is Andrew. He used to be a crack addict. Let's talk about it. And you need to basically have it pretty close to your mouth. Um, and try not to 
Yeah, yeah. we always say it. Big old, just a big old dick of a mic. Yeah, yeah. 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 just imagine it's, it's been a while. Yeah. 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 Being comfortable again yeah. with yeah. it. I just want to start right away. The next crack cocaine. No, but they good question, Brian. Good crack. Good question. They they do call crack pipe, you know, glass dick. So oh yeah, sucking on a glass dick. Sucking on the glass. Well, I guess that's a great segue into what we're here to talk about, which is just like that addiction. Um, and so Andrew, why don't, you, why don't you just start off by telling us, um, where you're from and, and what your kind of like your history in terms of what you used to do for work. Sure. Uh, grew up in Toronto. I left, uh, I mean, I was here until I guess the end of high school, moved out to Nova Scotia where you guys are from to do university at uh, King's college, spent three years out there, came home. Spent a year and a half traveling through Southeast Asia trying to find myself. Nice. Uh, yeah, you know what? That was a. I suggest everyone does that trip at some point. Yeah, Taylor's man. done that. Yeah. yeah, I've done. Yeah, I've been. Uh, yeah, I've been down to Thailand, Indonesia. My girlfriend's. Uh, uh, I do all my travel with, with her. She's also been through like Laos and Cambodia and Vietnam. And yeah, no, I hitchhiked from uh, basically Tasmania to Chiang Mai, Thailand, over a year, year and a half. No oh, shit. Sweet. And uh, Chiang Mai, I think, was my favorite city in Thailand. Um, I really, really. You go on one of those treks up uh, north of Chiang Mai, up yes. into the jungle, yeah. ride the elephants, smoke the opium. I and, did not uh, smoke the opium or ride the elephants. <laughs> Pretty sure there are elephants. Uh. <laughs> I don't know. The opium came before there the elephants. Definitely so opium. Actually, elephants sure. are not native to that uh, <laughs> to that region of the world. So <laughs> you had quite the trip. Yeah. Um, Spent the time traveling. Found myself. Came back to Toronto. Ended up moving out to Vancouver. Spent. Uh, Got eight years in Vancouver and a little bit of Oregon. Sweet. Uh, that's where I got myself into trouble with the, the drugs, or I progressed to a place where things were a problem. And uh, at what age were you around this time? Uh, Mid 20s. Mm -hmm. Mid 20s. And uh, I had success in my 20s. Uh, I had a great uh, business partner. We uh, took a number of companies public on the Vancouver Stock Exchange and, and one of the New York exchanges. So we had, you know, a lot of employees, five publicly traded companies. I was living kind of the Playboy lifestyle. Mm -hmm. You know, interesting enough, when that movie, The Wolf on Wall Street, came out, I yeah. got quite a few calls asking whether that was my story because it was fairly similar. I, yeah. Well, it's <laughs> funny. You had an extra couple of zeros on the end. Yeah. I made that very clear. But uh, Well, it's funny. Someone had asked uh, today, uh, I think it was my wife, she was like, what are you, what are you guys recording today? I was like, oh, you know, we're going to talk to a girl with uh, narcolepsy, a girl who has... Um, who has chronic migraines, a guy who runs a foundation for, um, uh, it's called Escape for Cancer, and then this other guy, and I'm pretty sure he's the Canadian Wolf of Wall Street. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that would be a, a bit of exaggeration, <laughs> yeah. but uh, you could probably take away three zeros, but did the same sort of stuff. Um, you know, got in trouble with the Securities and Exchange Commission as well and, and had to resign from the boards. Uh, didn't end up in jail or anything, but mm -hmm. uh, crossed some lines that I recognize now. And uh, that, that proceeded to make me go back to Toronto to live. And so moved back to Toronto. And, and at that point, I was a full-blown crack cocaine addict, alcoholic. Whoa. So you, you said, um, like, Oregon. Uh, so you said that that's kind of, like, where things started? Is that where it, <laughs> yeah, like, started? Like, I mean, the reality, if I look back and through, you know, I was a good student in, uh, in high school, meaning that I was always home on time. I didn't miss detentions i wasn't smoking pot all week um <laughs> i wasn't drinking all week I, I showed up for my classes and stuff um actually it's funny you know 
in Toronto, they had these TTC cards for the transit committee or whatever to get on as a student. And first time, the only trouble I ever got in in high school was for writing Jack Daniels on my TTC card as my name. And maybe that was a premonition of what I was, was going to say. A little bit of foreshadowing you know, there. Yeah, a little yeah. foreshadowing. So, uh, um, you know, Toronto, look, uh, the... What ends up happening is it progresses, right? We everything. No one wants to be a crack addict when no, they're older. No one. Yeah, five. It's like you know, should I be a fireman? No, cop. No, uh, crack cocaine addict. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you know, it just kept progressing. I always liked smoking pot. I liked being high. I liked the feeling it gave me. Um, even as a young guy, it, it made me feel comfortable. To be honest with you, mm-hmm. would you say that you have a, an addictive personality? Uh, you know. J- <sighs> That's a, you know, in a, in a field of addictions, that's not really a term we use, but... Is that a myth? Yeah. You know, the two biggest contributing factors to addiction are genetics and environment. Right. You know, if you grew up alone on an island, you're not going to become an addict. There's mm. nothing around. There's no, nowhere to get in any trouble. You know, I grew up in a fairly affluent life, um, you know, private school, all that kind of stuff. So there's money around, good education. And I always tell clients the hardest guys to get sober are the wealthiest, most educated yeah. and younger because they're all... Because it's so all accessible? Those feel- well, no, because those feelings all give us that feeling of invincibility. Nothing right. bad can happen to us. We can buy our way out of trouble. I'm smart enough to think my way out of it. And the problem with addiction is you can't really think your way out of it. Your thinking got you there, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> I can handle it. I'll be okay. Mm-hmm. It's not that big a deal. And so as I look, you know, as, a, as things progress for me through through university, you know, as soon as you go after university, you know, mom and dad aren't there anymore. No one's... Yeah, you become that's a, a number. You, yeah, you become a number at the school. Like, I still remember K-8-7-8-8-0-9-0-2, right? Like, sure, right. Yeah, you know, that's who I was to the prof, mm-hmm. right? He didn't care whether I came to class. As long as I got my paper in and wrote my exam, which I always made sure I did. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't go to class a lot. Didn't buy textbooks third year. But, um, you know, and it, so instead of smoking a joint on Saturday night and having six, eight beers, it became every night in university. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and then, uh, you know, alcohol wasn't great for me in the university. Like, we just smoked a lot. And we do a lot of LSD on the weekends or every other weekend. Was that the, the kind of the progression? It was like uh, marijuana, smoking some weed here and there, smoking weed a little bit more. Yeah, dude. And Every- then going from weed to LSD. Everybody knows marijuana is a gateway drug. Well, well, actually, I'd argue with you on that one. I, I, I'd I, argue I, on I was, that one. I was joking. Let's, no, let's, please, let's okay. do it. Let, let's do it. Let's get wait, into that. Wait, like, are, you, are you saying that it is or it isn't? I'm saying it's not. Okay, I yeah. agree. I agree. Right. I was ju- if yeah. you want to actually talk about what a gateway drug is, cigarettes. Yeah? Okay. Yeah. Let's cigarettes. Let's cigarettes so. are the gateway so. drug. Well, think about it. everything that young people know today, and I knew 25 years ago, cigarettes are bad for us. Right. They're going to kill us. Nothing happens. Yet we still have this mindset, not going to happen to us. I won't get addicted. Right. right. If you have the actual balls and courage to go, I'll start smoking at a young, as a 16-year-old, means you're willing to take chance. You're willing to take mm. risks. So if you're willing to do that, you are far more likely to be willing to do mm. cocaine, LSD, oxys, whatever, whatever it may be, right? Is it because there's, there's besides like a bit of a head rush, there's not really any like, like pro, I guess, to smoking cigarettes? What are I mean? the pros to smoking cigarettes? Like the first one, yeah, you feel sick. I've never got it. Um, I, I never understood it. I but, also live with a chronic lung disease, so I. But in yeah, comparison stay away to, from it. <laughs> to like uh, weed, where you smoke and then you get high. Yeah, like I mean, you know, at least there's a purpose to smoking weed for the most part. I mean, mm. smoking pot as a way to enhance a situation 
great if you can do that. Mm -hmm. If we're using mm -hmm. it to cope every night, like I get, I'm so stressed and life sucks so much, I got to get high. That's not, not that such a great. good thing. Yeah. Yeah. Right? And the problem with pot too, at a young, you know, from I'll say 12 to 24, 25, it's your brain still developing. It is going to have an impact on your brain development. Mm -hmm. uh, those are issues to be worried about, which you don't think about at Ooh. 16. Yeah. Uh, I'm smart enough. Yeah. Um, and you know, the problem with drugs are is they work. Right. Like yeah. They do what they're supposed to do. They change the way you feel. They have an effect, mm -hmm. yeah. Right? And then you know, if they didn't do that, <laughs> we wouldn't use them. Kind so, of an interesting thought that I'm having on the cigarette on the cigarette topic is is that is also because there's not because the ramifications of smoking cigarettes come later. You know, if you get into cigarettes when if you start smoking cigarettes when you're young and the effect isn't apparent soon after, and there's also not that much there's not that much of a drawback. I feel like that could make you that not. Not only just being able to go, okay, well, I tried cigarettes, so I'm more apt to try this, but it's also, well, I tried cigarettes and there wasn't that much of a drawback, so I could try this, this other thing once and maybe that won't have that much of a drawback. Yeah, but or, it's that idea that there's no fear. There's right. no consequence to it. Right, exactly. Right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I'm not saying if you start smoking pot that it doesn't mean you're not going to go to other things. You may, right. mm -hmm. but just because you start smoking pot doesn't mean you're going to suddenly become a cocaine addict. Right. Mm -hmm. You know, I look at the you know, guys I grew up with that smoked pot, you know, there's 90% of them are don't smoke pot anymore or may smoke once a month and right. have a couple glasses of wine on Saturday night. They did all the same things I did in mm -hmm. the, the teenage years, except for when we got to be 25, they grew up and I didn't. Right. It's, it's now, funny. Is it genetic for your, in your, like in your case, uh, is there anything genetic about, you know, or do you think that there's anything genetic? Yeah. Your, you know, was like, it something that's in like your if family? I look at my family tree and go back to my grandfathers, you know, they both, you know, my memory is my granddad pouring a, a scotch at strike of noon on a Saturday. Right. Um, you know, but at the same time, he was a doctor and that's, you know, it was a different time back then. But, mm -hmm. you know, we didn't know when, oh, he's an alcoholic. But, you know, my memory is he liked to drink. Yeah. Um, you know, my mother doesn't drink at all, and I would, I make the assumption that she doesn't drink because her father did when she was young. Mm, you know, right. so it doesn't mean the genetics don't get passed on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's right. The environment. You know, but my sister's, you know, she's a healthy fit nut and mm -hmm. eats lettuce and that kind of stuff. <laughs> that's so good. To, so <laughs> to come back to the progression of it, you were saying, you know, it started off with some marijuana, it moved on to LSD. Um, at what point did it start to become? Less of like, hey, this is a this is all a great way to you know to party and like a great way to sort of escape reality, and trans tra start to transform into like a oh, fuck. Here we go. Uh, this isn't good. I don't think my eyes opened till I you know was late twenties. Even when I was smoking crack, like part of the problem for me was I was able to you know I w was in the office at six o'clock every morning I lived in Vancouver so everything's back three hours or you work on Toronto or New York time so you're finished work at two you go for lunch have a little pasta some wine some beers hit the bar four o'clock pick up a little blow go home you know mm -hmm. and, and then I'd you know no one knew I 
smoked crack. Like I didn't smoke with anyone. My dealer didn't even know I smoked do, crack. Do you do you uh, do you remember the first time? Like, do you remember the first time pretty vividly of, of smoking uh, crack specifically? Yeah, I actually would have been younger. I would probably would have been twenty two, twenty three, not knowing it was crack. It was rock, and I didn't know the difference. And someone said, "Try this," and my head came off. And went, "That's nice," and I got to be careful of that. Never thought about it again. Like, you know, but it's interesting. Like when I got into crack, this is an interesting story because. I was doing cocaine fairly regularly, and, and part of the reason I got into cocaine is, look, I had a house on the water, the fancy car in the driveway, swimming pool, you know, living the life, so to speak, and, and uh, cocaine allowed me to drink more, yeah. right? Alcohol's a depressant, cocaine's a stimulant, mm-hmm. balance it out, no one really knew how smashed I was, right. I could function, I could do deals, I could go out every night and, on business dinners, and, and they always wanted to party and have fun, and I could keep up and do it night overnight. And mm-hmm. so one night I'm sitting there in, uh, in in my house, and I lived on the water, looking out over the mountains, and I got a ounce of cocaine in front of me, drinking a bottle of wine on a Sunday night, think watching 60 Minutes, thinking I'm all that, and you know, grandiose. And it was a 60 minute special on the crack epidemic in America. You know, and what does my brain do? My brain goes, shit. That, that, that I swear on the show. Sweet. Uh, I can. Uh, I, I should try that. Or I can. Wow. And they basically showed you how to make it. So Whoa, I went into oh, the kitchen really? and, and cooked up my. I wasted probably a hundred bucks worth, but cooked up my first. Uh, you first use tin. that. You use the coke that you had on you. You're like, well, I got all the fucking ounce. I might as well make some. Let's see what happens and try Holy it. Shit. And they, like they basically showed you the ingredients, which I won't say, but how to do it. And I made it and did one hit, and I was like, damn. And it was like, this is it. This is yeah. the, this is I mean, like, the you know, people are always like, ticket. what's it like smoking crack? You know, what's the best way to put it? Um, try and put it in male and female perspective. Uh, cocaine is sex. Uh, crack is sex with a mind blowing orgasm. Right. Sure. Right. Like everyone yeah. likes sex, but if we don't finish, eh, but right. Um, you know, or as you know, you guys aren't from here, but skiing in Collingwood would be cocaine, and Whistler would be crack. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you yeah. talked to our, us. With Martok would be. Uh, oh would my be, god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, like it's that much more intense. Yeah. You know? So is that the Jesus. is that the fundamental like because I. I I know, and you know, pretty much uh, as a result of watching Narcos on Netflix, is my is my fundamental understanding of how Coke gets made. But um, is that, and, and again, like not saying ingredients and like how to and giving an instructional uh, tips on how to go cook some crack, but. Is that it? You're taking cocaine and you're adding chemicals, some chemicals? Yeah, to you're, I mean, it depends. Like, you know, there's freebase and there's crack. Freebase is more purified form, but crack, which is what you typically, you know, there's a baking soda is the reason. When you smoke crack, it makes a crackling sound because mm. of the baking soda that oh, you mix okay. in to clean it, to burn it, and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, and it's just a way more intense high. It's a very isolating drug in the in the long run. It's not like you do a hit of crack and then go to the party. Right. Uh, well, yeah, I was going to say, like, you were talking about how doing coke um, uh, is, you know, it's, it gives you this ability to drink more. It gives you this ability to sort of level out so that you're not as, like, visibly intoxicated um kind of keeps you going keeps you like more motivated to like keep having that good time what happens when you smoke crack like what like most people will just keep going till it's gone yeah you know and that was what probably kept me sick longer is that i had the ability to go oh it's uh it's 10 30 i gotta be at work at six and put it all away and go to bed um you did have that ability yeah, which also made me think I was never addicted. 
Right. Um, right. Why do you think you had that ability? Like, what, what uh, is that? You know what? I have. I, I don't have an answer for that other than being extremely lucky or unlucky, depending on the way you mm. look at it. Because mm-hmm. it, it allowed me to continue smoking for a much longer period of time before crisis set in. So uh, when, okay. you, when you said... Um, that you even your dealer didn't know you were smoking crack. Was that because you were buying cocaine? And I'd buy cocaine. Yeah, like I, like you know, like guy like me doesn't smoke crack, man. We, cocaine, no, that's okay. Right? Well, it's like right, well, right, think right, about right. think about your stereotypical crack smoking uh, addict, right? You think it like like look at um, right, yeah. uh, uh, Dave Chappelle's um, the Tyree uh, Tyrone Tyrone, right? Like like chapped up lips like fucking just like cracked out eyes beady eyes like all red around it's you know so, like it's like so, shaking itching it's so entrenched that we, you use the word cracked out to describe him like exactly. it's, it's such yeah. a it's such like a whereas a bay street you know like fucking stock suit, trader suit, suit guy driving like a whatever an audi yeah. is like that doesn't sound like yeah. a guy who's so you don't want people knowing that crack. All right, so mm-hmm. I buy it and then and make it myself, and it's funny because you almost get high from the r- ritual of making it. Mm-hmm. Too, right. right, and and the problem is, you know, at the start it's relatively fun. Your head comes off, and you know, the the last few years was not fun. No, and even though every day I'd wake up, and go, okay, that's it, I'm not doing it. I still ended up doing it, mm-hmm. and the paranoia that comes with it eventually. Like Just tree police, you guys see tree police ever? Yeah, no. so you've never smoked crack. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know. <laughs> right? I was like, is this a show? Oh, no, you mean the police that are sitting in the trees because you're fucking losing your mind. Yeah, they look like branches. They dress yeah. like branches. Yeah. They're in camouflage, <laughs> and they're called tree police. Yeah, and right. you look at the window, and they'd be right, right in the tree. And then yeah. you can see them watching, and you're waiting for them to make that move. Oh, my God. And eventually, you've got to tape up your windows or sh- you know, make sure oh. no one can see. And you, unfortunately, you- I lived in a glass house. <laughs> That looked out over the water. Did you go to those lengths to do that, or what? Was, like, well, I had a, I, my front of my house that looked uh, looked out over the uh, waterfront and then over the mountains. It was too big; like there was no way I was blocking all that all stuff the tree up. Police so would, they would so just be looking. Just tree looking. Yeah. I remember, you know, I hope my mother doesn't listen to this. Um, looking out over the water because I was up on a cliff, looking down on the water and seeing the harbor patrol going back and forth, doing their usual thing. But of yeah. course. Crackhead goes, they're staking my place out. Right. So I came up with this idea that if I took beer cans or pop cans and tied them on a string on the cliff, that they That was would, your alarm. That was my alarm, right? So I oh tied a God. rope around my waist, tied it to a bench in the, oh my in the swimming God. pool, went over the side of the cliff. Unfortunately, didn't really think about how I was going to get back up the cliff, but tied Coke cans, beer cans across the thing to be my alarm system. Holy fucking. Managed to get myself back up. Yeah. And uh, got in my room or got up back into the house. And I remember being very proud of myself. Did another hit and then realized, you know, damn, they could come to the front door. Um, <laughs> oh, I, which then started my peephole obsession, which is basically every five minutes looking through the peephole. Oh, um, and, now, you know, when you're in that, like, it's not fun. I'm, I'm guessing that, um, you know, we, so, again, taking it back to the cocaine thing, it's a very social experience. And, uh, you know, you're having, having lunch, you know, lunch with clients or you're out at the bar with, with friends. Um, I'm, I guess it's safe to assume the whole crack um, episode 
or experience was pretty isolated. Yeah, you, know, you, like end you, up, you weren't doing I mean, it like, with anybody. Have I or? smoked it with other people in my life, of course. Yeah, ninety five percent of the time I was alone. Right, right. Okay. Like it's not something you're proud so, of. And what, what is that environment like yeah. to do with other people? Like, where, was that like a you well, had really a couple friends that, like, that was like? Uh, I didn't, yeah, West. Uh, you know, there might be a couple. I mean, once a month, someone might do it with sure. me, but it wasn't like, hey. You know, come on. I want my own. Like, right. I'm not inviting anyone over to smoke my stuff. Yeah. So, are you are you like uh, living on your own at at the time? Yeah, I had a house by myself. And so, so no room. Then, then, like, how did that uh, take a toll or start to take a toll on your relationships? You're you're obviously like isolated, staying at home, fucking tripping out. Not yeah, I spend most of the time alone. Did you, you have know? a girlfriend? Or? Uh, on and off at times in at those years, and uh, they never knew. Wow. Um, I'd hide it. Like, it's not like I had to do it every night. I could go and do, I had to do some sort of cocaine at least every day or every other day. Right. Um, and when I was alone, but I always set myself up to be alone. Right? Yeah, right. right. Like, right. that's what you end up doing, making excuses. Your friendships start to fade away, you know, relationships deteriorate, whatever, and you end up alone. Mm-hmm. You know, most addicts die alone eventually. Yeah. Family yeah. gives up, friends give up. Um, yeah. What was the, because uh, I mean, I'm, when when you said you had five publicly traded companies by the time you were how, how mid, old mid twenties, like uh, what were the what were the, the companies? I'm they were everything curious. from uh, mining deals to actually a feminine hygiene company that was an environmental company way ahead of our time. It would have been great to launch that fifteen years ago instead of twenty five. Yeah, um, recycling company. So different things that are at the junior startup stage. These aren't, you know, it's not Twitter or Facebook that I right. launched. Um, but small startups that have, you know, potential to go somewhere. And a couple of them did, and I sold out and and had done well. And, um, and yeah, so, but it, I mean, it was a full time job. Like I worked hard. Don't get me wrong. Mm-hmm. And um, so did you get? Did you get out of 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 those uh, of those companies? And and then and this is kind of like something that you did as a result of like the the. You know, the the fruits of, of getting out of those companies or selling your stake or, or anything like that? Or, or did those companies suffer at all as a result of, no, of- I, you know, I, did they suffer? Uh, no, cause you know, I, they always were funded and we raised money and, um, you know, the trouble I got in was for something called kiting debits, which, uh, you know, I learned at a young age with the, the, Invention of bank machines, you know, writing one check in and letting the banks chase the money until they get it because you write checks from checks before they had these holding periods back in the day. Probably mm-hmm. you guys are too young for that time. But I was kiting uh, stocks. What's so, a check? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just did something called, you know, kiting. So, I, you know, I had more than one brokerage account and I would move stock from one account to another that would create uh the appearance that more stock was trading, <coughs> but if we needed a, if I needed a hundred grand to put into one of the companies, I could sell, uh, say, a hundred thousand shares for mm-hmm. myself to the, my company here. Get the hundred grand here. I owe a hundred grand there, and then I had thirty days to pay that hundred grand. So I'd move mm-hmm. it to another account, which would pay that hundred, and oh, I owed, wow. now I owed one hundred and fifty over here. Okay. Another fifty. How much and, trouble did you get in for doing that? Um, well. I mean, I had to resign as director and officer of every company, oh, so fuck. my career wow. was over in that yeah. field. Um, I was lucky that I wasn't criminally charged, and the only reason I wasn't criminally charged is that all the, I could show that all the stock, all the money that I took out of the market went into the company, not into my pocket. Ah, okay. So, wow. um, so what ended up happening is the company had owed me the money, technically. Now, um, when you went through that process, that whole legal process, you know, losing your job and all that stuff, were you still in the thick of addiction? Oh, yeah. And yeah. did it did it uh, 
did it intensify your addictions due to the stress and the the intensity of of essentially losing your your livelihood? Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't say it intensified it. It was already at a fairly high peak. Right. Um, right. You know, one thing I always say is I was addicted to more. You know, it didn't matter what it was. I just want more of it. Mm. More, you know, higher stakes gambling, more, <coughs> more cocaine, more pot, more booze, more women, whatever. More is good and was good in my head. What's your, what's your take on, uh, on, on, I mean, you said you grew up, uh, you grew up quite affluent. Um, what is your, do you have any insight or, or opinion on how, like, I know we, we kind of, we kind of brushed on it, but how like money might influence that 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 more drive like is there is it because is it because there's a foundation of of like a solid foundation where it's like you want to there's an accumulation complex or something like that Do you, is is there anything well i mean you know i had a, a dad that did very you know started with nothing and built himself up and had a big career and you know ceo of a multi-billion dollar company and you know went to harvard instead of playing pro football so you know there was no pressure from him or, or my mother to be a certain thing. They always said, you know, if you want to be a uh, carpenter or a plumber, be a carpenter and plumber. Like, do right. what makes you happy. I heard, make sure you're chief executive officer of a company. <laughs> right. right. Like, that's what I did in my own brain. Like, yeah. in order to be, for them to be proud, I must be that. Ooh. Right. And I was always the guy that wanted to take shortcuts. You know, I look at my buddies that started at the bottom who are now you know, in their late 40s or our CEOs and stuff, they earned their way there. I tried to do a short way, um, you know, venture stuff. Right. Um, and had success. So, you know, in my 20s, you know, financially, I was doing way better than the, my counterparts who were putting in the time and effort. And, you know, that's, I do well today after getting sober. But, you know, 30s were rough for me. Right. Uh, Where do you think that came from? Did that, like, can you attribute that to anything? Or, or do you think that's just, that's the nature of your... You know, you yeah, I mean, for myself, I like I grew up with not feeling good enough, very insecure. You know, I remember seeing my office even when I had the companies like sometimes someone's going to walk in here and go, you don't have any idea what you're doing, do you? And I go, no, no, <laughs> I really don't. Um, you know, what I was good at was organizing other people to do a good job. Right. Um, so I had great, great people working with me. Um, but I lived in a constant fear. Uh, you know, I, I didn't like myself very mm-hmm. much. I thought I was a doomed for failure. If I tried, I'd always fail uh, in my head, so I wouldn't try, uh, that kind of <laughs> stuff. And, uh, you know, it's no fun to grow up that way. Hi, I'm Jesse Crookshank. Jesse Crookshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. No, so when, when does the, the addiction come to a climax? Like, at what point are you like, fuck, I got to get out of this? Uh, probably 31. I started to realize, like, you know, I was back in Toronto. I was living with a roommate who didn't party. Uh, I had a girlfriend that didn't party. And I was hiding it. Like, you know, he had hockey. I'd 
smoke during that time. She had work, I'd smoke during that time. I always, you know, I had a, actually had a schedule in my closet of when they had, like I'd write it out every week, when they had this, when she had work, when he had hockey, and find four or five hours at a time that I could smoke. Um, you know, and I always was able to put it down, even right up until the end. And then uh, she and I broke up, and uh, he was away. I went on a binge uh, one of the first times I actually smoked throughout the whole night and kept going, had a couple of seizures. And, oh, wow. Uh, shit. Yeah, those aren't fun. The funky chickens, we mm. call it. Um, <laughs> Why the funky chickens? No, yeah, you're just on the ground. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, Jesus Christ. Christ. Like the dance you did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. uh, <laughs> you said a couple seizures, so did you have one kind of recover from and be like, whoa, that was fucked. Well, time to smoke again. Yeah, or, pretty much. Okay, pretty wow. Much. And then and, uh, straight into another. And then I remember waking up on Holy a fuck, Sunday Andrew. morning... And I almost disappointed I me. Mean, I didn't believe in God, but saying, you know, God, you know, why don't you just take me and put me out of my misery? Mm. I was almost pissed. And, uh, and for some reason, like, got up, got dressed, got in my car, drove to my family house, knocked on the door. Mom opened it, and I burst into tears. Yeah, I'm 32, burst into tears. And my mom said, you know, who's, who died? Because I think the last, my best friend died when I was 18. Uh, thought you know someone had died because that's yeah. the last time she saw me cry yeah. and i remember just looking at i get emotional just saying this shit um they know mom it's me i'm dying and yeah. uh wow. i need help and uh to their credit you know uh took me in you know it's not like they were happy um but they didn't shame me they didn't make me feel horrible about it they said let's get you the help and three days uh, later i entered treatment uh three-month program i went into stayed five and a half months uh took me a little longer to get it than others i kept breaking the rules when i was there and um you know take away my my substances uh, i gotta act out some other way which happens Mm. often what Mm. was that process like of of retreat of recovery like going to treatment treatment's scary no one wants to i mean it's a state licensed mental institution that you're going to right we Mm. call it rehab but that's what it is right it's a mental health issue right you can call it disease a disorder whatever you want but you know you're going to uh mental health place so uh i remember I, I went to the states i flew down i remember getting off the plane this was pre 9-11 so uh you know there was a sign right outside the gate of my name on it and i walked right past it right to the bar uh, sat down <laughs> at the bar and ordered a budweiser and the guy like 10 minutes later a guy knocked on my shoulder and go Are you andrew and i was like um uh He's like, dude, that took way too long to answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. let's go. You know your goddamn <laughs> yeah, name. You should know your name, right? <laughs> and uh, and to his credit, uh, you know, he said, "Let's go, man. I know you want." And I took the last swig and off to treatment. I went. And what was the facility like? The, uh, I was one in, in the states just because uh, we could get in access uh, immediately. Um, it was nice. It was in the middle of the woods. It wasn't, uh, you know. Uh, it was expensive, but no more expensive than the ones here in Canada, uh, at least today. Um, there was four of us to a room. It's called the Florida model, actually. So you live actually in apartments. You cook your own food, at least mm. breakfast and lunch. You've got three roommates. You've got to keep the place tidy. And then there was four apartments to what they call the dome. And then there was, I don't know, ten domes. Right. Uh, like we lived in with normal people down the hall. And then went to the facility, which was a 50-yard walk. What do you mean by uh, normal people? Like people that weren't in treatment. Okay. Like had apartments. And so I'm sure they were really oh. happy. Like, oh, geez. Yeah. 16 <laughs> guys in rehab live next door. Great. Um, <laughs> so they were aware, obviously, of... Yeah. Like we didn't have any encounters with them. And, um, you know, and look, your day consists of getting up, making your bed, and 
going off to group therapy and, and, and individual therapy and all sorts of stuff and taking a look of how did we get there and, and why are we here. And, you know, as I said, drugs work. Drugs, you know, that insecurity, that feeling of not being good enough, not being worthy, not being lovable. Um, you know, I worked on that stuff. Yeah. Was there an element of the, the treatment that worked best for you or that you connected most with? Well, you know, I would have said I would have hated group therapy, but the thing about group therapy is, you know, when I started hearing two other guys describe sort of how I feel, but they're talking about themselves, and I suddenly go, well, I'm not the only one that feels this way. Yeah. There's, a, there's that connection happen. You know, I always say now that the opposite of addiction is connection. And, you know, you got to get connected to something. I mean, you know, here in 12-step programs, you know, they talk uh, about a higher higher power. power. So, well, that's a connection, you know. Does it have to be that? In my opinion, no. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, for me, I like to uh, connect a guy, a Mother Earth, and my high, what I call my higher self. Um, But that's what works for me. Look, if reading the yellow pages works for you, then read the fucking yellow pages. Like, you know, in my opinion, there's lots of ways to the garden, you know, figure out what way works and, mm-hmm. and, and then work that, I'll call it program, but work that program. Do you work. practice yoga or mindfulness or anything yeah, like that? Yeah, I do. I'm, I'm more recently a lot into meditation. <laughs> Did one this morning. Um, would like, should be doing it more often. Uh, you know, I've recently been exercising and stuff. And then, you know, there's, you know, I would say I've become quite spiritual, not in the sense of God, but uh, being connect you know I like I'm into the earth environment and all that yeah. kind of stuff I love going up north and putting you know taking the shoes off like I think it's really I tell clients take your shoes off let your feet touch the ground yeah. you know yeah. walk through the grass feel that that you know I mean, there are some ben- you know, physical benefits of, in my belief system at least, of energy moving and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Through that, that can be helpful, but get connected to something. You don't have to feel alone the rest of your life. The, yeah, uh, nature is so powerful for that. Yeah. The three of us um, teach yoga, and uh, Taylor and I have been running a, a yoga for youth camp in the summers Perfect. Uh, for a couple of weeks, and, and we do a mix of yoga, and we take them down to the lake and go dragon boating, but... Taylor and I, when we walk that walk, we always walk in our bare feet. And there's something like so special about just being shoeless and yeah. connected to the ground. It just, yeah. it just, I don't know, it makes you feel connected to the like place Pl- that place where you, you are. should be, right? Yeah. You know? yeah. And if more people got, you know, like think about, you know, in Toronto here where we lock in pavement all day, every yeah. day, mm-hmm. you never touch the grass. Mm-hmm. Right? And it's, it's so easy to think about, uh, I also <clears throat> have a massive belief in kind of like the healing nature and the energetic nature of, of, of the outdoors and, and, and the earth and the trees and the kind ocean. of all the life out there in the ocean. And uh, it's so easy uh, living in a city, especially where, you know, nature consists of a tree that's surrounded by, you know, four uh, concrete squares on a sidewalk Uh to forget or to start to think that that idea that that nature can be healing and that the earth can be healing, uh, it's so easy to, to get into the mindset that that's a hokey idea and that that doesn't make any sense until you get out into nature and then you go, man, why have I been so, why, have, why did I start thinking that way? It's so helpful. It's incredible. Like it's my, always a beautiful reminder. Oh, my God. Like my meditations I do, I like to send a cord from my, well, if you're in the yoga, second chakra down into the earth's core, and I mm. visualize it going down, and that's a grounding technique for me. And then, you know, I, I, 
I feel that I can feel the iron coming up and vibrating in my blood. And oh man, visualization like is so powerful, me, so strong. Yeah. You know? yeah. And there's, but there's a lot, you know, there's lots of ways to, mm-hmm. to get sober. Uh, you know, 12 step programs are fantastic. Um, you know, they, they work for people and, but you got to find your path. And, right. and uh, you know, I tell clients, essentially like in the summertime, we, there's a park near my office. I'd say probably a third of my clients. I go, come on, let's go over to the park and we'll do a session there and, mm. and talk about what's going on because they seem to just relax mm. once they get. I mean, they're not you know in a little boxy office. Yeah, and, totally. Um, so I find that helpful. And well, what you? How did you? Let's talk about the like. How did you go from? Or I guess in before we go to that, I'll ask that question. And I'll ask both questions. We can just you can just kind of lead into it, yeah. I guess. So the rehabilitation process and going through that was that a one time thing where you where you went for that extended period of time that five or six months that you were there and then and then after that or after you go through this and if there's more to that speak to it of course how did you get to where to to getting into the work you're currently doing or how yeah. did that bridge develop so i mean I, I was fortunate i only went to treatment once uh mm-hmm. haven't haven't had a relapse uh since march 8 2001 so i'm one of the lucky ones Fuck part well. of it is is that when i was there for the program and i got in trouble for you know i went and got a giant tattoo across my back of a eagle flying through a blue moon and a purple storm as a symbol of my recovery um which seemed like a really good idea at the time <laughs> um when i got back into that we were allowed to go out for dinners and yeah. stuff like that at this facility you know they started to go hey look you know that's the same as using it's a behavioral relapse i'm like no man oh, symbol of my recovery check it out and but when i start looking at it you know i like the attention i like the feel i don't know if you guys got tats but i like the feeling it that it gave good. me and it feels good when yeah. you get it right yeah you it's, know? A, it's and, an adrenaline rush and yeah. it was something that took me away from what i was doing at the time it took me out of myself right and so when i started looking at it that way like i argued it don't get me wrong but mm-hmm. by the end i was like yeah okay it's, yeah i, I can it. see that i get it mm-hmm. and, and i wish i didn't have that tattoo today um <laughs> <laughs> yeah. do you still have so it if you're on your way oh yeah yeah big ass <laughs> uh, i keep wanting to try and get in that show ink so they can do a cover-up. How cover big is up. it? Is it like across your it's, whole it's, back? No, it's oh, probably okay. that big. I was uh, picturing this like shoulder size of a, to shoulder. Yeah, it's not that. If, <laughs> if uh, they had let me go back the second day, it would have been. Um, <laughs> you know, and then I, you know, I got in trouble with, uh, you know, some of the other stuff I did there and acting out, uh, you know, hitting on girls or falling in love and, and treatment, you know, and getting distracted by women. It's, yeah. it's not like you want to meet mm. your future wife in a state licensed medical teacher. Would they, would, they, would they view that kind of behavior or that uh, yeah. like latching, I'll, I'll call it latching, falling in love, latching, yeah. like becoming really lustful, uh, would they view that in the same vein as they see the tattoo? Like, yeah, it's just another way of distra- what you're doing is just distracting yourself, right? You're there to work on yourself, right. you know, and you're spending your time thinking about Susan in the corner and how pretty she is, or geez, you know, I'd really like to, you know, have a con- like whatever, right? Like, yeah. you're not focusing on what you should be focusing on. Yeah, and you know, again, you know. Uh, if I look back over my history before I got sober, you know, women gave me a sense of power without question. Uh, you know, I'm not the ugliest guy in the world and can be fairly charming and I had money. And, and, you know, so with all of that, you know, there was women gave me a sense of I was OK. Like if Jill thinks I'm OK and will come home with me, then I must be OK. Right. right? Mm-hmm. And the problem is it took Jill, Sally, Michelle, like, you know, and, yeah. and so I, you know, 
I look back and it's embarrassing, but I used women to make to make myself feel better about mm. myself. It's like validation. A validation, yeah. exactly. And, yeah. and uh, you know, that all changed in recovery um, too. So, you know, I acted it that way in treatment. And so they kept calling me on it and rather than kicking me out and stuff, because you can get kicked out for stuff in, in treatment too, but they just kept extending my program and I kept being open enough to stay and not think it was a money grab and work on myself. Mm. And, and although when I finally left, they said my chance of success was small to none and um, I still had a bit of an attitude. But I remember I got uh, went to get on the plane and I'm walking down the, the aisle way or whatever to, to get on the plane. I'm like, you know, I, a beer would be nice. Like I just spent five and a half months in rehab. Mm. Like a beer would be good. And, uh, and I was like, yeah, you know, I really is not supposed to drink because if I drink, I'll do cocaine because alcohol affects the prefrontal lobe, which makes decisions, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, you know, one beer, it's American beer. How about like, it's like, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's like, sort of like water anyway, right? <laughs> and then I was like, okay, this is bad. And I came up with this plan. Like I'll only drink when I fly. And then right. I was like, well, maybe I should just do it on international flights. Well, Canada, U.S., that's international. Like, I started rationalizing. Yeah, totally. And then I caught myself doing it. And I stepped onto the plane, and there was a nice flight attendant there. And I looked at her, and she said, hello. And I was like, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I just got out of treatment. I feel like having a beer. Please make sure you don't give me one. And she was like, oh, okay, wow. hold on. Take a breath. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, I'm good. I'm good. I just Please don't let me have a beer when I order it. She goes, what row are you in? I said, 13C. And she said, all right, what would you like to drink? I was like, a Coca-Cola. And like, I went and found my seat and literally. One minute later, I hear, excuse me, excuse me, and this flight attendant's pushing her way through everybody and comes and puts a can of Coke and a glass of ice in front of me and goes, there you go. You know, if you, if you want another one, you just hit that button. And I realized in that moment, right, I mean, it's probably the biggest lesson I learned and what you learn in treatment is to ask for help. Yeah. yeah. Right? Yeah. And because and, and like people like to help people, right? Yeah. And this woman changed probably changed the outcome of my whole recovery right in that moment. Well, you changed okay. it because you asked. I mean, I, she was willing to I help. Because I asked, and then I got results. Right, I totally. Asked. And, uh, and then th- it became much easier when I got home to, to say to my buddies, you know what, guys? Like, you know, they picked me up at uh, the first night with a case of beer on ice. You know, I thought you went for cocaine. I'm like, yeah, dude, but Ooh. I drank a lot, too. And <laughs> alcohol leads me to cocaine. And, you know, they're like, oh, man, shit, you know, sorry. It's, and put it away. Like, right. they were yeah. cool with me for the, you know, like, look, we go out for dinner now. They can have uh, two bottles of wine, mm-hmm. whatever, like, or a glass of wine, whatever. No one bothers me. But but, you know, in the early stages when they hung out with me, they didn't drink. That's supportive. Mm-hmm. That's great. That's great that you you didn't have to, um, you know, essentially like shed all of the people like out of your life that you had a that you had a solid support system of friends and family that were. Yeah. Like, well, I was okay. fortunate because I didn't they weren't crack smoking guys. Yeah. Right. right? right. Like, yeah. You know, those guys I wouldn't have kept in my life if there were yeah. any of them. But uh, they didn't do that stuff. Yeah. So you, you know, b- before treatment, um, you, you have this like really intense crash. Um, you go to your, your, your parents' house, your, your parents take you to treatment. You're not working for five months, six months straight. Uh, you come out of treatment. At, at, at what point are you like, well, I need like, what's your, what's like, what's your career goals at that point? Like where, where, what does work look like then? Well, I mean, I'm unemployed. I hadn't worked in a year. Um, you know, fortunately I'd done well enough that I could still support myself. I had some money left over. And so I thought, you know, let's work on myself for a little while first. And, and, but I, you know, it takes a while at that age to get a job. And 
you know, I had a, a decent resume because on paper it looks really good. The problem going back onto Bay Street is they go, well, where's your MBA? Um, which, you know, I'd say, I have a street MBA, man. Um, right. Does that not account for anything? Like your, your, your experience and your... A little, but, you know, at the same time, and I understand it, is they got to protect themselves too that when I cost the company $5 million, they go, this guy doesn't even have his MBA. Who hired him? Right. You know, uh, I did. Sorry. Yeah. He had a street MBA, he told me. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, so, you know, the type of job I wanted. He went to the school of hard knocks, he <laughs> yes. told me. Yes. It makes yeah. a lot of sense when you put it that way. Because yeah. yeah. I'm about to be like, oh, give him a chance. You know. <laughs> give him a chance. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, you know, like, which I understand. I, I, I get that. And, uh, <laughs> And then I guess I was about nine months sober, and it's just I just uh, went and said hello to the guy. Went to a to a firm in Toronto, a smaller uh, smaller firm, and got an interview and was meeting with the president. And you know, he looked at my resume and he said, you know, what have you been doing the last uh, eighteen months? And I was like, well, I was uh, unemployed, freebasing crack cocaine, uh, drinking, spent five and a half months in rehab. I'm nine months sober and trying to get my life back together. Like, I didn't know what else to say. Like, yeah. Might as well what tell the him the truth. Here you go. Yeah, what do you, just, and, uh, what do you say? Right? And he like, turns and goes, uh, how old are you? And I said, 32. And he goes, that's interesting. I'm 60. I'm 28 years sober. I got sober at 32. You no start, shit. You start tomorrow at 9 a.m. If you're one minute late, you're fired. Fuck yeah. yeah. We didn't even discuss salary. <laughs> I was just like, I'm coming. Right? And, uh, and so the next morning, you know, typical addict or alcoholic, I'm like, oh, 8.57, I got time for a smoke. You know, I have a cigarette. Literally, the door is open on the 17th floor. I walk into his office. He's in the front hall beside the receptionist looking at his clock. And I walk in at 8.59 and 30 seconds. And he's like, wow, you know, you only had 30 seconds left. And I said, yeah, you mean I'm early? Right? <laughs> like, in my head, I was early. Yeah. And uh, he's like, yeah, you're an alcoholic. And, uh, you know, I'm expecting my big corner office because I'm wearing my, you know, fancy canali suit and boots and, you know, hey, like I deserve a corner office. I still got some grandiosity going in arrogance, right. of course. And, and takes me off when I'm all of a sudden like in this bullpen setting and there's all these papers and envelopes. He's like, fold the paper into three, put them in the envelope. And I'm like, just like what? that. What? He goes, until we are so humbled, our recovery will be precarious, which is a line from a, the 12 step book. But, um, and, uh, and I sat there folding envelopes and, and did that for two weeks. And, you know, interesting that I, I we were joking about today because I saw him, I, I cut the shit out of my mouth, licking the envelopes. Right. <laughs> and he had told the people around to not give me any help unless he asked for it. Right. Right. So I'd sit there licking envelopes. I don't know if you lick thousands of envelopes, but eventually you're going to cut your mouth up. Right. And finally got through them all. George's wife died. Yeah, yes. she died from <laughs> licking those envelopes. You know? and, uh, and it turned out that I should have asked for help because they would have given me a sponge. You know? <laughs> Because yeah. like, that's what, like, you know, yeah. like, I felt like such an idiot. Like, did this guy turn? This guy sounds, this guy amazing. sounds like a bit of a me, like he's a bit of a mentor role. Did that? You know what? He was he was great, yeah, and uh, still is a great guy. And, and what's interesting is then I started. You know, it's one thing to work eight hours and you get back in the thing. And obviously, I got more responsibility and 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 contributed a lot more to the company than folding paper. But. Um, I started volunteering at uh, uh, Evergreen, which is a drop, drop-in center for street youth here mm-hmm. on Fridays. Um, started working at another place uh, in Regent Park, which is uh, a fairly rough area, or has been a rough area mm-hmm. of town here. Um, at a community center doing basketball. I played basketball in university, so I went and did that on Friday nights. And I started realizing I kind of enjoyed helping people and sharing my story and trying to inspire the you know, young people to make different choices than I made. And... Uh, 
And then I met the head of the NHL Substance Abuse Behavioral Health Program uh, who helps uh, any uh, hockey players or family members that have issues. And, he said, and I said, oh, I should work for you. I'd be great. You know, I, I did, made quite a bit of money, lost it all, came back out of even, but lived a pretty crazy lifestyle in my 20s. You know, I'd be, I'd be able to help players. And he said, you probably could, but you have no education. You should get educated. So I was like, okay. You're like, God damn it. The school of hard knocks. I went to hard knocks. MBA, education. Everyone's goddamn education. Anyway, two weeks later, I uh, registered at McMaster University uh, to study addictions. And uh, two years after that, I graduated. And uh, I'll never forget, I went to um, the graduation ceremony. And uh, like I got my BA the first time around and was at, able to uh, get through Kings. at Kings. And um, <laughs> somehow, I don't know how, but was able to. And, and, uh, and probably my high school education helped there. But uh, <laughs> I remember being at this graduation, and my f- parents were there and, and stuff, and this woman came up to me like, are you Andrew Galloway? And I'm like, yes. And she's like, well, uh, we've been trying to get a hold of you. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry, how much money do I owe? Like, I promise I'll, I'll get it to you. She's like, <laughs> you know, typical addict, what do I owe you? Yeah. Um, and, and then she was like, no, no, you won the award <laughs> of academic excellence. And I was like, oh. Okay, cool. is it cool if we give it to you tonight? And I'm like, yeah, it's cool. And I said, thanks. And I'll never forget, I got up and walked quietly out of the building, went outside. It's funny, all the emotions come back when Ooh. you have these memories. And went outside, <laughs> I literally, I sound like a crier a lot, but I don't cry that much, I swear. <laughs> uh, but I started crying because I realized at that moment my life actually had changed. It was actually different. I was yeah. doing things differently. I wasn't the guy, you know, too scared to do anything because I was going to fail. Like I'd made an effort. I had done the work and I'd got the results and, mm-hmm. and that was cool. And so I took my report card and <laughs> wrote to the, the NHL guy and said, you know, I'm educated now and faxed it to him. And uh, he hired me the next day and introduced me to another guy, and I ended up in private practice right away with a supervisor and psychologist. And what a whirlwind, man! And then it, that's all started. Yeah. And, like I've just been, I've been lucky. Yeah, like, like how really often do you lucky. just sit and kind of reflect and just think? Holy fuck, I'm lucky. You know, yeah, like yeah. it, it could have gone so Dude, but I don't, much differently. I, I don't think, man. I don't, I don't think that you're lucky. It's like it's not like. It's not like not when lucky, that, you know what I mean, though. Like, but just not, fortunate in life to like to be able to for sure. To like, be there's able a lot. To do there, that, there's right? a lot of fortune. There's a lot of fortune. There's my no family could have, could afford to send me for to sure. a treatment center. Yeah. I could get there the next and, day. And there's there's lots like, of people who who don't have that without uh, question. And, don't and, have that and I'm grateful for, them, right? for that. But however, like when this when you said to this NHL guy before you went to McMaster that you would love to work for him, and he was like, yeah, well, unfortunately, you don't have an education. You could have easily said oh well i guess yeah that's not you fucking me. did something about it but like, you were like okay i'm gonna go and fucking do this you know what's, yeah what's interesting is like i've said later. that to i don't know how many dozens of clients that i want to do what you do so you know get educated get hired and the first guy uh in the, i've been doing this now 12 13 14 years first guy ever starts in two weeks no, like, no I, I, you know, said, yeah, you did it. You got your education. Come That's work awesome. It. So, you know, but majority of us don't go yeah. and do it, right? How did you, so before we started recording, you were talking about how you've done some work or you are doing some work with uh, the the series Intervention? Yeah, well, I do series. do Intervention Canada, which uh, started in 2011. Um, there's myself and a couple other interventionists that uh, do it. And it's on the CBC Documentary Channel now. Uh, and then they also show them down in the States on A&D and 
movie network or a lifetime movie network mm. or something. Right. You know, that show has been, I mean, I was lucky there too to get on that show. I had a, uh, the series producer came to my office cause I do interventions in the real world and, and, uh, you know, told me she was from the show, but I didn't realize she was going to show up with a camera and the whole bit. And, mm -hmm. oh, really? and she did. And, you know, my mouth was so dry and the it was a horrible taping. And uh, yeah, 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 a little bit like how it is right now. Like, you know, some water. And uh, anyway, you know, five, three days later, she calls me and goes, we had a problem with the tape. It didn't, it came out scratchy. We need to come re-record. So, you know, she shows up in my office this time. I'm ready. I got 15 bottles of water ready to go and, uh, and did the interview and, and, you know, lucky enough, got offered the the role, and it's been fun. It's a it's a tough show to work on, uh, without question. <clears throat> it sounds challenging, or it looks challenging. Like, what is well, that? What is that experience going in? I mean, not only I can only imagine how challenging that is, and how heavy of a scene that is off camera. Like, I mean, what dude, is, it's heavy to watch. It, I mean, it, I remember watching an episode of Intervention when, like, from A and E, and just being like. Oh man, this is really hard. Yeah, I mean, yeah. the thing is, you got to remember, you know, there's thousands or tens of thousands of people going through that every day, right? Yeah. If you look at the statistics, one in ten people have an issue uh, with either alcohol or drugs. Uh, that's a lot. That's yeah. three million Canadians. That's thirty million Americans. So, you know, it's it's certainly an issue. And and you know, there was I had a little bit of. You know, should I be doing this? Are we taking advantage of people? Right. And at the same time, though, I start thinking about your reaction. You know, like people are like, wow, look what these people are going through. Look what these families are going through. You know, and and looked at it more of an educational piece of like, mm -hmm. look, they can be this low and still recover. Like, there's always hope. And you know that a lot of times they just need that opportunity. And and you know the show does create an opportunity for the people that are on it that they probably wouldn't have gotten normally. Um, In terms of like a rehabilitation or opportunity, well, or the opportunity access? to go to you know access to you know some of the best treatment centers in Canada. You know, there's Edgewood and Bellwood places like that. You know, they wouldn't necessarily because they you know they, there's a fee to go into those places, so they they right. get access to places that they may not have got to before. Um, you know, and, and, you know, a lot of times, you know, the people were just like I was, you mm. know, they're, they got something, either got a trauma or something that's happened. They just, they've gotten low, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, people always talk about hitting bottom, but the problem is bottom's dead, right? Like you don't want to hit bottom. So interventions, the point of it is to raise that bottom, do it, do it before we get there. And interventions are as much for the family as they are for the addict mm. themselves. Cause the family has been usually trying to do something either individually or as a, you know, like, Hey, get help. And it's always resistance, resistance. So when you get a bunch of loved ones and, and friends together, and say, hey, we love you, but this is how your addiction is affecting us. Mm -hmm. We're scared. We're sad. We're is, is that what an intervention is? Like, what is that's the, the way I do it? Yeah. So like, bringing loved ones together and essentially just like and remember, force feeding how they feel down the person's yeah. When, you know, force feeding is a strong way of doing it. Like this, we are not here to shame the addict. It's not no. their fault. You mm -hmm. know, if you listen to the game, it's a disease or disorder, whatever you want to call it, but. You know, it's not like anyone, as I said earlier, chooses to be that way. Mm -hmm. You know, they've got themselves there. And, and you know, so the family comes. Like, we, I like to do it with a, coming from a place of love and saying, yeah. God, we love you. You know, I remember when we used to throw the football and you were a little kid and I was so proud and da, da, da. Like, remind them of the, the good times. Mm -hmm. And then, and not every family had a good times when they're growing up. So you got to acknowledge that, too. Um, and then saying, but if you talk about how your behavior affects or their behavior affects us, they can't argue with you. Mm. Like you can't say, you're not sad. 
You know, right. they can argue yeah. you're doing too much drugs or you're smoking too much pot. No, I'm not. Like then you get like there's no point in having that discussion. Yeah. And you're really asking the person f- to go and get help. Now, you know, does everyone go? About 75% will say yes at that point. Some need a little leverage, which means we're no longer going to buy, you know, your food when you need it. We're not going to lend you 50 bucks. We're not going to look at, you know, like those types of things. So we try and put a little leverage on that way. But most of the time, we don't ever have to get there. Yeah. Um, And then, you know, in real life, about 10% of people do not go to... To, to treatment and mm. unfortunately a lot of those people pass away and sh- right. shortly thereafter but yeah. you know, I've been fortunate in the show everyone I've done is gone and you know 70% have done well afterwards yeah. and the problem with rehab is everyone stays sober in rehab right mm. like it's a safe yeah. we talked about environment earlier well the environment of rehab isn't really you know partying and doing lines so it's a pretty easy place yeah. to stay sober yeah. right. it's a question of what happens when you get out are you gonna you know see a therapist are you do group therapy or you know put yourself in the right environment or you do 12 step whatever it's gonna be you know, you need to keep doing something. Mm-hmm. Is it yoga, meditation, exercise? Yeah. Like I would say, do a combination of all those things. But. I, I don't want to trivialize what you're, what you just said about how, like, about how you know, being at a rehab center is an easy place to stay sober. But and then it's when you go, it's when you leave that you know the real work is happening because then you're exposed to the nature of reality. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's the same way. I mean, I I ran a I ran a fucking yoga retreat in this place in Bridgewater couple weeks ago and I, and we had an amazing time. Like we, like we had a ton of earth connection, um, experiences uh, that were just absolutely breathtaking and and really like introspective. And everyone was just on this huge high after. And, and I saw a couple of them like a week later and I was like, Oh, how did you feel after the weekend? A lot of them were just like, man, I was fucking sad after I left. Because when I, I, when I, when I've realized how difficult it is to take that sense of happiness and peace and then and then transplant it into reality when I got to go to work or I got to go to school and all this stuff. It's like, look, it's hard. And, Ooh. and I mean, you know, again, not to trivialize it, but just the, 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 the similarities in those experience, like, you know, whether it's as simple as just being happy in a, in nature or, or going through something like fucking addiction or whatever, and then trying to transplant your work into the everyday experience i'm sure is just yeah i mean people people gotta work at it yeah you know and if you're gonna walk at a finished treatment and and think that you just go home and it's all better you you gotta your eyes are gonna get open pretty quickly Mm. what's your so what's your work um what was your work with the NHL? Do you work with that? You work with athletes? Or? Yeah, I mean, look, you know, uh, w- you know, whether it's an NHL player, Major League Baseball, stockbroker, lawyer, doctor, we're all human beings, right? right. So, um, you know, <laughs> the, the one thing I'll say about addiction, it doesn't discriminate: rich, poor, yeah. black, white, male, female. You know, the, the, it, it doesn't care. The, its goal is to take your soul, and and uh, you know, so if a in the NHL, if a player ever had an issue, they I, part of my job was to help them. Mm. You know? Right. So, I mean, I would say, to be honest with you, I can't talk much yeah, about I the know. NHL and stuff like that. Okay, but, sure. But, um, you know, there are people too, right? And to think that just because mm-hmm. they're an elite athlete or any elite la- athlete in any sport can't have an issue is crazy. And I think mm-hmm. that's why that's why I wanted to ask the question. I didn't want to dig for any information on yeah. anybody. But just but the idea that I, I certainly felt that way. And I feel like the first time, it was probably, you know, it was probably reading Theo Fleury's uh, biography where I just went, oh, like, Jesus, I didn't. I had no. Yeah. I I had no idea that there was even time for that. Like, I grew up playing yeah. hockey and 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 looking looking to a pro sports life, and and then you know it was just being exposed to that for the first time. 
that just blew my mind that that's happening in that space as well. What do you do when you after your game's finished with the team? Oh, Go I was some beers. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> right. There's know. always time. Yeah. yeah. And then we, you know, one of the things that happens when you get sober is you realize, God, I got a lot of time in my hands. Right. You know, and, mm. and that's what can lead back to addiction because you're bored. Yeah. You don't know what to do, you know, and, and if you don't start finding new ways to stay busy and stay connected and occupied, you know, obviously yoga is a great one too, but, you know, you can't do yoga 24 7, mm. you know, so developing new hobbies. You know, for myself, I've gotten into painting, you know, doing some Bob Ross paintings is pretty fun. <laughs> um, nice. Yeah, yeah. You know. Dude, have you seen his son <laughs> you know. on the show? Have you seen Bob Ross's son? No. Holy shit. Does he look like little Bob Ross? Not at all. Oh my God, no. It's just like, it's so crazy. They don't look anything alike, but he's also such a character. Like, if you get a chance, Google go, go, Bob, go, go, Rob, Rob, Rob. He'll have his son. He'll be like, well, my son is here today, and he's quite the painter. He's been painting his entire life. Take it away, son. And then his son's just like like total different dude. Yeah. Hi, it's everybody. Fucking great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, dude, that's it. Yeah. Like that's My trees don't dance. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 So, so, you know, doing something. Yeah, I got into photography, all that. You know, like yeah. just trying yeah, to find other, other things to do. And, yeah. uh, you know, and... and Things are working out so far. I don't say I'll never drink. I'll never do anything again. Mm. You know, I'm 48 now. Never's a long time for me. I'm open another at least 30, 40 years to live. Yeah. And to say I'll never do it in the next 30 years, that's way too overwhelming. Yeah. You know, like that's a, that's a long goal. But if you had told me 15 years ago I'd go 15 years, I would have said no way. That's crazy. Right? Yeah. So That's really humble of you to say that. Right? Mm. Like, to say, to, you know, to be able to, to, be able to, to look at that and, and, and you know, because I feel like if I... If I had a goal in mind, I would, I would immediately put that that like ceiling to it. I would go never. But very, it's very. Uh, there's a lot of humility in saying, you know, that's I'm not gonna I'm not gonna put a stamp on that and say I'll it's never do it. Too much pressure, man. Yeah, it's too much pressure. And I think taking taking it one day at a time is certainly a lot easier to digest. Than, certainly a lot healthier. Yeah, I mean, too. you know, I, I'm I probably don't worry about it too much on a day to day basis. Sure, you know, mm-hmm. uh, not anymore. But anyway. I don't. Yeah, at least not yeah. anymore. I mean, you know, like a tragedy could happen while we were taping this show and God knows how I'm going to react to it. I would hope I would react responsibly, um, but but who knows? So I don't take anything for granted. Yeah. You know, it's, it's, recovery is a tough thing and, and, you know, if, but if you keep doing the work and if you look at it as a lifelong thing, you'll be fine. Yeah. You know, and if you have a, a setback, you know, I hear people say, you know, uh, geez, having a slip is part of recovery. No, it's not. You know, coming back from a slip is part of recovery. Slipping is right. not part of recovery. Yeah. Right. You know, but I also hear people say, you know, my worst day um, or my best day or my, so I'm getting all screwed up in my head. Attic brain. Um, my, <laughs> my worst day sober is still better than my best day using. Mm. I'm like, damn, you didn't use the drugs I did then because that's not the case. <laughs> like, and, and then to me, that's false. Like, you know, look, overall is my life a hundred times better without question. But it's not like we didn't have some good days yeah. when we used. And I'm yeah. going to acknowledge the fact that we did. Unfortunately for me, I wasn't able to do those once every couple of months. I tried to do it every night and it became an issue and a problem. I'll be the first to say if I could, you know, do some acid or do some blow every three, four months, I'd probably do it mm-hmm. if I could do it. Yeah. But I ain't willing to take the risk. Yeah. You know, it's not, not, not worth, worth it. it. Yeah. You know, and we talk about, you were mentioning goals and stuff. 
like my goal these days is to be happy, mm. you know, and if, and if I can just have that goal and reach it, you know what, all the other stuff falls into place. Like my relationships are good. People like hanging out with me, you know, work goes fairly smoothly. The bank account stays full, you know, well not full, mm. but enough to pay the bills. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I still got life issues. Um, but I, you know, my kids are better off like, everything. I can handle yeah. stuff. Like, so if, you know, my goal these days is to be happy and to make sure I do the work to do that, which involves meditation and mm-hmm. you know and all sorts of different things but eating healthy like i eat better now data vegetarian so you know she's that helps yeah, <laughs> yeah that i've helps gone from time. seven meat meals a week to one yeah. you know um and she puts a whole bunch of stuff in my shakes in the morning that i'm sure are helping um <laughs> she doesn't tell me what they are. Yeah, a lot of like flakes, oat flakes, and stuff. I don't know, but um, <laughs> seeds, flax seed. Yeah, that kind yeah, of stuff. But I, not gonna, like ever since I've been taking them, I feel better. Who <laughs> 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 you know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. very cons- regular, very yeah, very yeah. regular, and consistent. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks, dude. Thanks for coming in and sharing your your experience with us. You know, the I. Just hearing the the sort of narrative arc of your story is very um, very enlightening, and it's. I think there's probably going to be some people that listen to this, and uh, and will feel very hopeful. All I can say to those people that may have an issue out there, reach out and ask for help. Mm-hmm. That's the hardest part of the whole recovery program is that first hands up or going to a family member or friend and saying, can you help me get the help I need? Yeah. And once you get past that, because we sit there full of shame, full of guilt, um, you know, what are people going to think? I remember when I was still in Vancouver, you know, sitting in a, in a, in a shower with the water coming down, you know, going, how the hell am I going to get out of this? Who am I, you know, and it took me four more years to, to mm. get out of the hell I was already yeah. knew I was in, you know, unable to break that chain. And I woke up, you know, probably for a year every day going, never again. That's it. I'm done. And mm. five o'clock I'd have one beer, which led to three, which led to cocaine. And like, I just couldn't break that cycle on my own. Best intentions. You know, I think the, that expression, the road to hell is paid with good intentions is talking about addicts because most of us actually have fairly good intentions. Mm. When we say to you, that's it, we're going to stop, you know. You're not lying. We're not lying. Like, we mean it from our heart. We're just not capable of it. Yeah. Like, there's a, you know, I also believe that an, an, uh, an abuser can use twice as much twice as often, but when they make a decision to stop, they can't. Where an addict goes, yeah, I got to stop. Well, I can't stop. Wednesday, I mean, the weekend's almost here, and yeah. I can't stop Monday. It's Monday Night Football. Well, Tuesday, well, a lot of, you know, whatever's on. So it becomes hard to do that thing, right? And yeah. so anyone out there that's got a problem, go and ask for help. It was the best thing I ever did in my life. Uh, you know, I sleep at night. I wake up. My kids love me. And you're happy. And I'm happy. Yeah, man. And Boom. Happy. Yeah. And that's the yeah. goal. Yeah. Wham. Well, thanks, Andrew. No, no yeah, worries. My a pleasure for being here. Uh, and thank you all so much for listening. Uh, we will be back next week with another awesome conversation. Uh, and while you're waiting, uh, head on over to iTunes. If you haven't already subscribed, do that for sure. And give us a rating and a review. Uh, helps us big time, keeps us on the iTunes charts, and uh, we could really use, use that. Uh, it helps us kind of spread what we're up to and and let more people see uh and hear the the amazing stories that we are able to bring to this podcast uh and of course patreon all of our patreon subscribers uh thank you so much this trip to toronto would not have happened if it wasn't for you um and it means so much to us if you support what we're doing go on over to www.patreon.com slash sick boy andrew shut the fuck up
Not Andrew. The other Andrew is not me. The other Andrew. Because that would be hilarious. Guy. God, I'm getting blamed for the game. We are also on Facebook. We're on Twitter. Uh, Instagram, lots of awesome, fun, silly shit that we put up there. And actually, I think, Taylor, we're on something else new, right? Well, yeah, we, we uh, our, our Japanese listenership has just recently exploded. Oh, so, my God, it's huge. Uh, we've uh, taken up a Mixie page. So if you want to head over to Mixie, uh, there's lots of cool uh, entertainment and community on Mixie. So uh, right. look us up, subscribe, um, and uh, check out our Hello Kitty uh, that's a sick boy store. That is right. Mixie. Uh, check out Mixie. Uh, that is can, it for am today. Am I allowed to promote my Twitter uh, Oh, dude, my fuck Twitter yeah. Thing? yeah. What do you oh, yeah, to? For sure. Yeah, follow, you. you can follow me on Twitter. I tweet lots of stuff about recovery and, uh, and stuff like that. At Galloway, S-A-B-H. Galloway, S-A-B-H, which stands for Substance Abuse Behavior Health. Nice. Sweet. We'll but, put that up uh, on our yeah, uh, cool. media yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, appreciate sure. it. Uh, that is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.